For those of you who don't know already, uh, Laura, our pastor, is uh, one tough cookie, okay? I'll just say that because she actually is going to preach on this scripture (laughs) that I'm about to read. Uh, most pastors would be like, hey, have fun with that, take care. But she just took it on, head on. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty unbelievably, it's, it's awesome. So I uh, have a peek to your interest. Are you going to listen now? That's good. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 5, verses 1. Hear now the inspired words of God. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out to be, to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So full disclosure, I'm not that tough. Um, When I was planning out my sermon series on the book of Acts, one of my original plans was that I would just touch on this story, just acknowledge that it's there, and jump on to better things, okay? And, and then something happened, and what happened was this. I've been asking y'all to read the book of Acts along with the church, right? We're going to read this. I'm going to preach on it, and you're going to read, and we're going to learn from it. And one person came up to me a couple weeks ago, one man in this congregation, and said, what are you going to say about Ananias and Sapphira? Why would God do that? Why do they die? And I said, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. There is so much in chapter 5, and we're just going to touch on them, and then we're going to hop on to the next thing. (laughs) And um, honestly, at that point, what I think I was expecting is that person would say, oh, Pastor Laura, thank you for saving us from that horrible story. You're such a smart pastor, and I love you, and there's a reason You're the leader of our church. I expected something like relief. But what happened was this man's face fell. And he said, but what does it mean? Can you tell me what it means? And when I sat down to write the sermon, the sermon where I'd touch on it and jump to something better, I found I couldn't do it. 
I had to grapple with this text because his words kept ringing in my ears, what does it mean? And nobody stitches Ananias and Sapphira on a pillow. Nobody needlepoints this. I mean, it's nobody's life verse. We'd, we'd all rather look past it. But there's something in it for us. And so we're going to find it today. And the first thing that Ananias and Sapphira, and specifically this man in the congregation, helped me see is something that's usually hidden. And that's my frame. Sociologists describe framing. They say it's the way that your views and your values and your mental, mental filters shape the world. And you, you and I are always looking through a frame, but we don't often see it. And then that man asked me about Ananias and Sapphira, and I saw it. I saw what I had done in the sermon series, right? What I was trying to do is tell you all the stories of glory and power. You know I talk about imperfect people, but I'm mostly talking about the imperfect people who get their act together and are transformed, right? We talk about the disciples and Peter, and they didn't know what to do, but they took good steps in the right direction. We talk about the Holy Spirit coming and changing us from the inside out. We, we talk about the great healings in the book of Acts, and it was fine for me to just say, well, Ananias and Sapphira is like way over here. And so that's okay. Let's talk about what's in the frame. And then I realized how big the frame is that Luke is using. This is Luke's frame. This is the biggest one I could find. It's probably even bigger than this. Think about Luke having the choice when he was writing down the story of Jesus and the disciples, the story of the early church, it was up to him which stories were put in and which stories were framed out. And he didn't leave Ananias and Sapphira out. In fact, Luke is consistently telling us stories that are unflattering for the disciples uh, sure, he'll, he'll tell you about the time when Peter was walking on water, right? Yay, Peter! But he doesn't stop. with. And Peter took his first steps on water, the end of the story. He says, and then Peter saw the waves and he sank. So we have that. And we have the disciples leaving everything to follow Christ. Everything. Great faith. And then we have the times when the kids come up and they say, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Or the times that they're fighting with each other about who's the best. Or the times like when Jesus is arrested where they all either run away or hide or lie. And so in the story in the book of Luke, we have this broad frame of a very real group of people like you and me. And I'm actually really glad that in the book of Acts, Luke gives us a very real picture of the early church. Yeah, there's Barnabas who sold a field and so many other people and they, they gave it to those in need and there's Peter who would walk down the street and his shadow could heal people. His shadow. He's transformed. But then there's Ananias and Sapphira. Hypocrites. Liars. Phonies. Within this beautiful community that God is creating. And moving on, Luke's going to tell us about conflict. 
He's going to tell us about prejudice, about how if you were a widow with a certain skin color and background, you could probably get food, but if you had a different skin color and background, your plate was empty. And how the early church grappled with that. So the first thing that I learn from what does this story mean is it means we got a big frame. And that's refreshing, right? Because in seminary, which is the school I went to to become a pastor, and, and sometimes in my churches, maybe you've heard this too, you'll hear someone saying, oh, if only we could get back to the early church. Have you heard that? It was a beautiful, perfect time, and the Spirit was poured out on everyone, and everyone was sharing everything they had, and no one was in need, and if we could only get back there, things would be okay. You've heard that? It's beautiful. It's perfect. Look at how beautiful. And Luke says, not so fast. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Amidst all those people getting transformed, having their lives changed, there was the spirit couldn't get into them. They were corrupt. And Luke says, not so fast. It wasn't perfect. There was conflict, and they didn't know what to do, and they were fighting with each other. Fighting in a church. Can you imagine? And that happened from the very beginning. And so one of the gifts that Luke is giving us is giving us a real picture if we have the courage to read it and if I have the courage to preach about it. So we need to talk about Ananias and Sapphira even though it's one of my least favorite stories in the Bible. And we need to figure out what went wrong with them and why would Luke give us this story? What, is, what does God want to say to us through this story? So think about the time in which they lived. Wouldn't you love to just have had it maybe a week if you had a time machine and you'd go back in time and be part of that early community? You know, it's a big frame and so it's not all perfect, but... It's all brand new, and there's so many miracles. People are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking to others in languages that they didn't know that they could, and others are coming to faith, and it's hard, and there's some danger there. But, man, when Peter walks down the street, you can see he's changed from the inside out, and if his shadow just falls on a sick person, and they believe they're well, wouldn't you love to live in that time? I would. And that's when Ananias and Sapphira lived. That was the opportunity that they had. They lived in this community where people really were sharing and giving in amazing ways. Now, it wasn't mandatory, you guys. It wasn't like you were baptized and you had to sign a contract that said, I will now liquidate everything I have and give it to the poor. It wasn't. You read in Acts chapter 4, the end, that leads right up to this passage, and it says, some people did. So there are some examples of generosity that go above and beyond because people are following after Christ. And one of those, the name that comes right before Ananias and Sapphira is the name Barnabas. Barnabas was just an ordinary believer who I guess had some means, and he felt the call of God to share. And so he sold a field that has been in his family. And this was a, a community where you didn't sell property without somebody knowing about it. And so 
word got out that he had done this, what did he do? Well, I think he gave the money to the church. Yeah, other people said, you know, we had, we had money enough to feed all the widows for months, and I, th- I, think that, I think he did that. So the community, I believe, be- begins to become a buzz with, wow, you know, this faith is really life-changing. Barnabas realizes it isn't about property here on earth. It's about how can I bless the community? How can my resources become, make this place more like the kingdom of God? So everybody's talking about it. Everybody's inspired. And then there standing in the shadows are Ananias and Sapphira. And they want that. They don't want the generosity. They don't want the feeding the poor eh, as much as they want to hear people talking about them. Wow, look at Ananias and Sapphira. And so they concoct a plan to try to get that kind of applause without sacrificing anything or without sacrificing much. Barnabas sold this field and gave everything, and so they say, well, we've got that field, but, you know, we don't really, who needs to give everything? Let's give some of it, but say it's everything. And I want you to catch this because this is one of the key differences to understanding what went wrong with them is that this is a community where people are changed from the inside, where the motives of the heart are seen in the action and the words. And Barnabas gives this money from this field so that he can honor God so that he can follow Jesus Christ. Not so that people can say, man, Barnabas is an amazing guy. But so that he'll be closer to being like Jesus. And Ananias and Sapphira, they must not believe in God at all. I'll get to that in a minute. All they care about is that the people applaud them. They care about the applause on earth. So here's what they do. They sell a piece of property. Was that wrong? No, they're okay. That's okay. They sold the property. It was theirs. As Peter says, it's yours to do with whatever you want. They sold the property, and they gave some of the money to the church. Is that bad? No. That's a good thing. If the story had stopped there, if they had said, hey, we sold our property, and here is some of the money. Hallelujah. All generosity is rewarded, right? Where they went wrong is the lie. They, they sold it and they gave part, but they said, oh, it's everything. Who were they lying to? It was as if, and I think this is true, I don't think they believed it all. Because if you believe in God, you know that God knows every heart. Every motive, every heartbeat, every thought we have, God knows. And so I don't see how they could have believed in God and thought that they could get away with this. They're phonies. And Jesus, in the book of 
Luke, Luke records a time when Jesus talks about the motivations of the heart. He's in the temple, and there's, there's these offering boxes. It was kind of a clever thing, I guess, that the religious leaders had created, these offering boxes. They had long tubes, and the money in that day was coins. So, and the bigger the coin, the heavier metal it was made of, the louder it sounded when you put it in the offering box, right? And the tube was long, so it would make a lot of noise. So what would happen is some pious Pharisee would come by with these heavy coins and put them into the box, and it would go, clang, 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 clang. And everybody would go, oh, wow, look at old so-and-so, what a generous person. And the Pharisee would piously walk away, right? So in the midst of the temple, and it's right in the open, and it's designed to make noise, offerings that were designed to make noise where? On earth. A woman comes carrying in her hand two small leptons. A leptin was the smallest coin in circulation. Thin, very, very small in value. A denarius was worth a day's wage for a laborer. And a leptin was one one-hundred and twenty-sixth of a denarius. It was, they were thin, and they didn't make much noise as she let them go and put them in. They, just a whisper. Nobody turned. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Except Jesus. In amidst all those loud, noisy offerings, Jesus sees this woman, and he tells his followers, he says, that woman there, she gave the most of everybody. The disciples didn't hear that, right? They, they didn't make much noise. And Jesus goes on to explain, she gave everything, everything she had. And to God, that's the greatest offering. So what was Jesus seeing that day? The heart. Ananias and Sapphira, their hearts are bad. They lie. They lie to God. But why? Why were they killed? I mean, y'all, there are so many people in the Bible who lie. Abraham, he lied to Pharaoh, and he said Sarah was his sister, not his wife, because he was afraid he'd die. And David, great King David, he sleeps with a woman who's not his wife, and then he lies and lies and lies to cover it up, eventually getting them, her husband killed. Lies. Peter, on the night Jesus is betrayed, sitting at a campfire, and people are saying, do you know Jesus? And he, no. I don't know him. So why... Did they live, and Ananias and Sapphira died, and so many others live, but Ananias and Sapphira die? I think two reasons. First of all, think about who they were lying to. Abraham is afraid of Pharaoh, and he's lying. David is afraid of what the people will say, and he's lying. 
Peter is afraid the people in the campfire will turn him in and he's lying. So they're lying to people. And this is one of the only places in the Bible we hear someone talk about lying to God. There's only one other place. It's in the Old Testament. To lie to God means a corruption on the inside that's deep. But there's something more, I think. We see in Abraham and David and Peter and so many more in the Bible Not that they lived perfect lives, but that when they sinned, they fell to their knees and they told God they were sorry. They repented. Abraham confesses. David, when the prophet Nathan comes in and says, This thing you've done, he could have had him killed. He was a king. Instead, he falls on his knees and he says, how can I be forgiven? Please tell me it's possible. Peter, again, we find him on his knees. He goes and sits at a meal with Jesus and Jesus very carefully restores him. How broken did he have to feel inside? But he kept just putting one foot in front of the other and believing God can restore me. And what we see in Ananias and Sapphira is that As I read this slowly and I thought about it, I realized there's something that Luke is saying in the silent spaces about an unwillingness in Ananias and Sapphira to seek forgiveness. Look at how many times Peter asks one of them or the other a question and they stay silent. Confronted by their prophet in the form of Peter, they will not repent. Listen to this. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? No reply. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? No reply. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Silence. What made you think of doing such a thing? He says nothing. He won't repent. And Sapphira, too, he confronts her directly. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? We have a story here of two people who have lied to God, who cared about the sound things make, but not about the heart, and who refuse to repent. And it's a scary story. Because I think, as I read it at least, and I suspect as you read it, all of us find those tendencies in ourselves. All of us confront the tendency to want people to think well of us, to speak well of us, to believe the best even if it's not true. We've all lied because we're afraid 
And so we read this story and it scares us because we think, well, maybe there's not room for me here. And what I want to remind you is how big the frame is. There's room for all of us if we are constantly seeking forgiveness. Every single one of us has done things that we regret, has said things that have caused great harm, that if we could turn back time, we would change. We would do it differently, but we can't. And what this story reminds me is that when we get a chance to seek forgiveness, we've got to take it. We have to take it. People who are part of God's community are not perfect. The story is full of broken people who lie and cheat and steal and then ask for forgiveness. And they're the people who change the world. But friends, if there's anything that this story speaks to me, it's that God knows our hearts. And whether that check on our heart comes today when we're talking to someone or at the end of our life when we stand before God and all of our actions are laid bare, we're in need of forgiveness. And we have a God who loves us and who keeps asking the questions so that we can find it. The frame is big. It's big enough for all of us, thank God. You do not need to be perfect. Sinful people are welcome here. This is a place where we find forgiveness. This is a place where we're changed. And there's always room at the side of Christ for people who say, I need some help. So walk at Christ's side with authenticity, with repentance, and with hope. Let's pray. God, I want to take the chance right now on behalf of me and all of my people here in this church to say that we are sorry. We are so sorry for what we've done wrong. The things that we've said and the things that we've done and the things that we've just thought. And please forgive us. Please meet us as you met Peter and David and Abraham and even Ananias and Sapphira, but let us reach out our hands and take that chance. Let us not be left hard-hearted. And please, God, as you forgive us, and we're going to need it a lot, help us to walk by your side to care less about the applause we get from the world and to make sure that our actions and our thoughts and our words are noticed by you. That, Lord, would be enough. And as we're changed, God, help us, like the imperfect people in the early church, to be agents of change in this world. We ask this in your strong and mighty name. Amen.